What's up, everybody? This is Jordan Rossler and Derek Ambrosen from the Dynasty Builders Podcast, part of the DLF family of podcasts. Each week, we use film analysis, rookie breakdowns, ADP, analytic tools, and a dose of humor to ensure that you get actionable and practical advice from each and every episode to help you build a dynasty. So, uh, Nathan Powell, a uh, graduate of ma- in mass communications, um, he likes talking about fantasy football on Twitter and writing about it at the same time. He will broadcast for money, uh, and he's on Twitter at, at NPowellFF, and most recently was owning me, I guess, on Twitter um, over what is and isn't a zero RB team. Um, so recently we were caught up in kind of a, I guess, whatever passes for a debate on Twitter because I came in the middle of it and didn't really understand the context, to be fair. But you you um, were talking with some other people about whether a team was or wasn't zero RB. Could you, like, recap that for me a little bit? Because since I obviously don't really know what it was about, but was arguing so, anyway, as I do. Yes, yes. Oh, you know, of course. Uh, and one uh, fun thing to plug uh, is that after that argument, I was like, you know what? I'm going to use my powers, and I'm going to get Sean on the podcast. And so last week's Dynasty Tradecast, I had Sean Siegel on the podcast to talk about said argument. And we'll go in, into it a little bit, um, but just fun stuff. So essentially what the argument was, and this can be had with, you know, Sean, or it can be had with any other person that's ever read a Zero RB article of what is Zero RB or what is not Zero RB. And the sticking point that made me frustrated and, and Izzy as well, the main debaters here were me, Izzy, and one person who will will say was basically just saying, if you if you don't draft a running back in the first three rounds, that's zero RB. And I was like, you are missing the entire point of zero RB if you think that's what zero RB is. And me and Sean echoed this a little bit on the podcast as well. Zero RB is about anti-fragility. It's about creating an early round roster of players that are less likely to get injured than their running back counterparts. And so it when you're talking about going zero RB, you're not saying I'm waiting until X round to draft a running back. And it's certainly not waiting until the fourth round to draft a running back when in most scenarios, you're still drafting wide receivers and flexes in the fourth round. Unless you're in like a start two wide receiver with one flex league, you really shouldn't be drafting a running back in round four if you are planning to do a zero RB strategy. Okay, I love the appeal to authority, just to put my own place straight away. Well, I talked to Sean, because Sean's <laughs> article is amazing. It's a great strategy, and I think we've all read it and basically understand it. Um, and he laid out a way of drafting that was had, and the reason it was good is because it had strict rules, essentially, like when you start to think about running backs and uh, an exact number of rounds. He literally named rounds that you really don't draft running backs and so on and so forth. So on that principle, like I... Uh, I completely agree. What Sean laid out said, don't draft a running back. But more broadly, yeah, it's an appeal to authority. I'm sorry. If you come up with an idea, you can't say anyone who has another thought about this is immediately wrong because I was the first. And I don't think Sean would say that. He put out, um, well, I don't know. I'll listen to your podcast and find out, I guess. But um, (laughs) he put out a strategy for drafting that was trying to take advantage of the weakness of some positions and the strength of others typically over time. The fragility is where I think the strongest point is here. But the team in question, or the guy in question, I guess, that drafted it, took a running back that he thought was just too good of a value to keep up with zero running back. And I I guess I'm going to go pedantic to start with, and then maybe we can build that up into something useful. But like you can't, something isn't either not zero RB or zero RB as if there's some nerdy brownie points that you can earn by being zero RB. The idea is to draft the best team. And I'm pretty sure I've literally heard Sean Siegel say this, but being entirely dependent on the strategy you enter a draft with is literally pretty much the worst way you can draft any team. Well, this is a good pick, but I plan to go zero RB. It would be like the worst way I think of the worst mindset to enter a draft with. You've got to see where the draft takes you. So my whole thing was, yeah, okay, it doesn't fit the strict definition of what zero RB is Sean laid out, puts it at. 
But in a draft, you can be leaning zero RB. You can have zero RB in your head. You can be leaning on the fragility of running back and the value of what, what the wide receiver position gives you. And then, you know, a good value just turns to you and you can take it. That doesn't mean you're not practicing the the inherent concepts in zero RB that make it a viable strategy. And so essentially what you're looking at as an individual draft is going to be on a scale of perfect, I guess, zero RB to not. I don't know what the opposite is because that hasn't been well sketched out, but I guess it's normally just referred to as like heavy running back or whatever. But the idea that it was somehow you could be right or wrong about whether a team was zero running back was it just, it's just not the way I think about it, I guess. And so it struck me as uh, different. I'm going to pause there because you took a breath like you were about to tell me why else I'm wrong. So I'm going to let you no, no, run in no, on No, not that. at all. <laughs> what I was going to say was that the thing that confuses me in regard to someone trying to claim that they're doing a strategy, particularly when what they're doing probably isn't the strategy, is who cares? Like you, like you said, there's no brownie points for going zero RB. There's no brownie points for going late round quarterback or whatever, the, insert the you know name brand strategy that you want to implement. It's just, you can say, hey, I'm a believer in said strategy. But like you said, like if, if you're doing zero RB and Christian McCaffrey falls to you at 111, like, okay, I'm no longer doing zero RB. And I, I think that the one thing that the disconnect between some people, it's yes, best player available, or yes, you know, you want to get, you don't want to ignore the values that are going on. But you can, if you stray from a strategy, that's fine. You just aren't implementing the strategy. And it, it's not against the How's rules to like, See, that's what I mean, though. I mean, that's black and white. You're doing it or you're not. And I think that's crazy to acknowledge the value in a strategy or something that's shown, not discovered, but I guess um, enveloped into a strategy in the most popular and first iteration of a very concise, intelligent, whatever you want to say it is, and whatever, Sean, like you can't see anyone built or like originated anything anymore on the internet. Like you someone who was it i was listening to the fantasy points podcast the other day and they were pointing out that the nfl was essentially practicing zero rb long before the article and i was like okay buddy but sean like iterated it in fantasy to the popular consciousness the same way jj is that the reason he coined the term he coined yeah, the exactly. term yeah, yeah yeah but the, again within sean's article he laid bare some potential value by utilizing a draft strategy that focuses on the weakness of one position and the strength of another to put it in broad terms. So you're not not going zero RB if you're lean, if you're aware of those concepts, but you also infuse value. And, and I'm being too vague here, but if, like you said, uh, Saquon Barkley is a lot more likely to fall to you at pick four than uh, uh, McCaffrey is at pick um, 11 or whatever we could come up with. But say a running back like that does fall to you a couple of picks and you take them, but then you lean heavy wide receiver. Like you go wide receiver or tight end or quarterback every other round. It's not zero RB, but it's also not not zero RB, if you know what I mean. You're utilizing the value of what Sean put out there and taught and gave to us all, the fragility of running back. It just so happens that one fell to you. Um, and like you said, there's really no value in going or not. It's just this cleanly stated it is or it isn't and just seems bizarre. Like if you're utilizing the value of the strategy, which is recognizing the fragility of running back, that to me is a broader, true, um, but still a, still, it's on a scale of zero RB and it's, it's pretty close to the top, right? You see what I mean? Yeah, and it's a very complex concept. And if you're just reading it as, okay, I'm not going to draft a running back for the first three rounds or what, whatever insert number you want to say, you're reading it incorrectly. You are just trying to water it down into the most basic form it could possibly be. And you aren't taking the lessons that the strategy is teaching you. And like you said, other people can write, like Sean doesn't have the rights to only write zero RB. You can write a zero RB article. I can write a zero RB article. <laughs> right. but, but, but if we're going to use the concepts that, that Sean established, then we do have to like further, like, you know, discuss that. Now, if you're going to say um, that you can pick a running back in round one and still do zero RB, I would, de I would debate that a little bit, but I would also just say, you can say I'm using some of the strategies that, that Sean talks about in zero RB by doing quote unquote, a modified zero RB where I get, you know, this whatever it back is. Yeah. I, I'm getting a workhorse back in round one. And then I am not investing in those, you know, uh, 
you know, pitfalls of running backs that are going rounds two through seven. I'm just going to load up a wide receiver and I'm still, and if you go running back, I mean, wide receiver two rounds two through seven, you're still going to be loaded at wide receiver. And then you're going to be using those rounds eight to 12 on those handcuff type backs that when a top running back gets injured, they're going to be benefiting from those injuries. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess it just, it, it was straight. It never strikes me quite right when someone says definitively this is or isn't something. And if you're, mm-hmm. If you're aware of and trying to utilize the concept of anti-fragility, that's that's the value of zero RB. Now, to me broadly, because, you know, if you utilize any strategy, and that's something I want to get onto, we really only have that. Like everyone compares it like a strategy in a multitude. But as far as I'm aware, and I'm hoping you can correct me, actually, but I don't know of another fleshed out strategy. I know vague ideas that we try to implement in drafts, best player available value of a stream whatever but there's no fleshed out strategy like there is zero rb i can't think of another one i just reread frisco josh's structural drafting rb uh, article on rotavis because i was hoping that maybe that had more of it but it's not it's really a philosophy not a draft strategy but that's a little bit more technical but we're arguing about whether something is or isn't a strategy when that strategy exists in the singular like we have one so for me, it's just a scale towards that strategy. And in that way, I think the larger point that something that doesn't f- exactly fit the definition probably isn't quote unquote zero RB. But um, I think that's the way it happens in most drafts. Very few people are going to be willing to throw all their chickens into one bucket. Eggs, chickens. I forget which way that metaphor goes. And just purely draft on the theoretical uh, ideas behind zero running back because it really is you just draft wide receivers tight ends and um, quarterbacks I guess through the first six rounds and um, to try and get maximal capitalization and that was like uh, the reason I uh, managed to notice your point that it was about anti-fragility and not value and so it could be not zero running back if you start to lean on value um, I, I think you're accurate in that reset. I think you're actually right in the end. Some uh, The team wasn't running back. It was about value with the person drafting who was strongly aware and trying to take advantage of fragility. And that's something different. And it made me realize most of us have really been doing that. That's the way that the zero running back thing has infiltrated, if you will, dynasty theory. It's not we to practice zero running back. It's that we try to use anti-fragility is another one of these philosophies to guide our draft pick but like are there other draft strategies that fit the definition of strategy like zero rb am i forgetting one i I mean you could debate that like robust rb would be okay okay and And, but really robust rb it's like the opposite of what i mean yes robust rb zero in general they are the opposite but with zero RB, you're gambling that running backs are going to get hurt, which is not even that much of a gamble. And with robust RB, you're gambling your specific running backs aren't going to get hurt. Because if you go robust RB and your running backs don't get hurt, you're probably going to be in contention for a championship. So it, zero RB is betting on injuries, and robust RB is betting on your specific team not facing those injuries. I think zero RB also try. Um, it ends up whether it's meant to or not capitalizing on the fact that we're bad at predict predictions you know a lot of running backs that get taken through the first five rounds are a projected value rather than someone we've seen it do before seen do it before for example if you know what i mean like saquon barkley year one was a projected running back one and you could easily take him early but that's not i don't know that could work that could not work out right um rashad penny springs to mind actually even though <laughs> I shouldn't try and do examples <laughs> off the top of my head. That's, that's a very poor comparison, but you get my point. Like, well, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire this year, he's now apparently going in the first round, and that could easily not work out. So if you're going zero RB, you also avoid things like that. Um, at the running back position, which are a little more frequent, like running backs more often don't meet the projected um, production thresholds we imagine for them. And I'm taking Dynasty League ADP for that. Like more running backs finish entire the top five and top 12 when they're drafted outside the top 36 at that position than any other position. That's what I'm trying to say. But again, Rust RB is stated as the opposite of zero, R, of zero RB. Like saying I'll do the opposite of a strategy or a theory is doing that theory. 
it's not a different theory. It's implementing the reverse value of that. So it's not different. It's the opposite of the same. It's, just, it's, a, it's the opposite of the same coin. But even saying that, um, it's not sketched out. I'm sure a whole bunch of people have written an article, but there's not an article like Sean's who lays out the points differential, the value, the likelihood, how often it works, and then shows an example team of how you just won a high stakes championship, implementing it exactly and precisely. It's not as flushed out as a theory or a strategy. It's just, it's like best player available, I guess. Like it's there. I get what you mean, but it's not, you have like, well, with zero RB, in fact, this discussion in and of itself is proof that, I think that other strategies aren't real strategies because we have an exact definition of zero RB. And if anyone skews to the left of it, you can say, that's not zero wide receiver. Whereas if I stop drafting running backs in round five or round four, you can't say it's not robust RB because it's not an exact definition. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Well, the, the one of the reasons why I stopped this argument was he did pull the receipts and in one year, uh, Sean recommended D- Doug Martin as a zero RB candidate, and he was going in the fourth round at, at, at that time. So, you know, there was a time where the zero RB, you know, creator recommended a fourth round running back. So it's possible, but it and he might. Did it in the, my point was he did it in the initial rollout. I listened to all those podcasts when it yeah. first came out, and he said, it's not like I won't take a running back. Like, I really yeah. remember him saying that. So I'm glad someone found a receipt, I guess. But, you know, we can trust each other, I guess. What's yeah, the yeah. argument on that one? No, I mean, because my, I mean, the way I came out and the, the guy got mad at me, I was I was basically saying, like, if you draft a running back in the fourth round, that's not zero RB. Turns out I was wrong because Sean said, uh, at least according to Sean's definition, because Sean advocated for Doug Martin being a zero RB at the in the fourth round. And from my point of view, if you're really looking at that and if you're looking at, you know, zero RB candidates each year, and if you're advocating for guys going that early, you're really just saying which running backs are undervalued. And I think that that is, I mean, and I'm arguing with Sean, who's, you know, the guy who wrote it, but like, I think if you're advocating for a fourth round, fifth round running back being zero RB, you're more so just saying, here's this fourth round, fifth round running back that I think is going to be a value. And unless, and, 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 and the way that I'll actually disagree with the original statement of it's not zero RB, Kareem Hunt is zero RB because if there's an injury occurs, he is he stands to benefit the most of any NFL player from an injury. So in that in that sphere, he is zero RB. If the at the cost attached to him is a fourth round pick, that's what I think makes him less so or even not zero RB. Yeah, and that's uh, when I got into it, I finally, I saw your point that if you're making some picks based on value and some picks based on fragility, then you're essentially trying to multi-strategy it, which is what most people, I honestly think that's what most people do. So I saw your point and I think you're right on that. Yeah, I just kind of want to get, because the more I got into that conversation, like I think I made some people leave it. Sorry, I was trying to be polite, but no matter how (laughs) polite I try to be, people read me a certain way. And I'm like, the more I got into the conversation, the more I realized it was such a misnomer. Like you said earlier, and I was trying to say, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you don't, if it's zero RB or not, the idea is you're just trying to draft the best team. Sean came up with an exact strategy that he implemented very well and won won money and he wins leagues. But I think the value of it was the ideas behind it were very flexible or useful in other picks and other decisions and assessing um, dynasty or redraft or fantasy football on a broader scale. And so, like, it just felt like falling down the rabbit hole but there was no adventure. Like it was just an argument about definition that didn't matter. But I did find it interesting to reevaluate what I, what I thought, what I think about zero running back, especially right now. And like, is zero running back dead? No, it it can never be dead because the only way, the only way zero RB could die is if running backs stop getting injured. Like, because, (laughs) and, or, or wide receivers start to catch up an injury rate. Like if wide receivers start to get getting injured as often as running backs do, then zero RB is dead. But if the basis of how injuries have worked in the, for the last, you know, let's say 20 years in the NFL, if they stay the same, then zero RB will be a viable strategy. Now you can, we can debate how, you know, if the league becomes more running back heavy, which I don't see happening because we know from like uh, metrics from like number fire that a running play is a negative outcome. Like it, you're more likely to have a negative outcome on a running play than you are a pass, a, a, a passing play. A passing play is more likely to net posit- a positive outcome. And so 
teams are going to continue to adapt and continue to be more pass heavy. You're going to see those teams that are throwing the balls 40, 50 times a game as the more successful teams. Now that's when you'll talk about, you know, causation correlation, because some people will say, well, the leaders in passing like Matthew Stafford every year is finishing six and 10. Well, that's because he's trailing the entire game and has to pass constantly. But when you look at passing in neutral game script, game, game scripts, that's where you'll find the teams that, are, are benefiting the most from the passing game. Um, is it just about running backs getting injured, though? Like, I really don't see it that way. Um, it, it, it's the core of it. I get that. But, like, running backs are just less likely, or I'll put it in... Like, I didn't look them up. I don't have them pulled up. But there are numbers on this, and I've posted them before. Frankly, re- running backs repeat in the top five, injury or no injury, there's a lower chance of them repeating that level of performance at the running back position. That's just what consistently happens year over year. Now, the difficult part about that is I don't disagree with any of the top five running backs. Like I would draft them in that order and I value them just as highly as everyone else. The problem is how how do you cope with that when you know less of them are more... The chance is fewer of them repeat that level of production next year than the top five wide receivers and wide receiver scoring last year is another problem that we can talk about if you want but if you see what i mean it's not just about injury the team can have less success it can get less touches and because there's more of a committee or they just scored one less touchdown or another running back blows up over them and repeating in the top five is certainly a lot about injury but it's also just about running backs are are a revolving door a lot more than wide receivers are year over year outside of injury yeah. as well. And, and part of this actually relates to the whole running back doesn't matter crowd. It, it's the fact that a lot of the fantasy production from running backs has very little to nothing to do with their talent that for the most part, it's right. what, what situation are they in and how much opportunity are they going to get? Like, I don't think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a top 10 NFL running back from a talent perspective, but he's in the best situation and he's got very little uh, competition for, for, you know, touches at this point. I liked him a lot less when he had, when he had Damian Williams taking touches from him. Now that Damian Williams is gone, I don't really see what's stopping him from being a top five back, even though I don't think he's a top five. He's not a top 10. You see, I, I just go the complete opposite way on that. Like if you don't think he has the talent to do it, how can he do it? Like, he doesn't do it just because there's no one else there. Like, we have teams every year that don't have top 10 running backs because there's no good running backs there. It's not like the best one of them just becomes a top 10 running back. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I do, but... Baltimore didn't have a top 10 running back and they stomped the league last year. (laughs) Yes, yes, true. No, but... That's because they had the split of touches between Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards and, you know, whoever else was getting touches. Like, And the split I don't... happened because none of them could separate. And this is right. more true of wide receiver, but it's true for running back. And, the, and what I'm trying to do is value those top five running backs. Like the reason Christian McCaffrey, Barkley, Cook, Kamara separate for me and Zeke Elliott, those would be the top five, I'm pretty sure, um, is because they are just – there's a large talent differential. And this goes back to what Jacob Rickrode says, just because running back doesn't matter, doesn't mean some running backs don't matter most of the time. Saquon Barkley is a really big deal compared to any other running back in your backfield. Like that's true. And running backs don't matter. In fact, that's what running backs don't matter said, as I read the original research, like some running books matter exponentially on a per touch or per game or looking at game wins. Saquon Barkley matters. Running back position doesn't matter because replaceable talent. And that's what I mean by if he's not a top 10 talent, they can find another Damian Williams because he's also not a top 10 talent. That's where the replaceability comes in. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Hill was just signed. I don't know if he's that good anymore, but there's certainly other undrafted free agents. There's certainly other running backs in the league who can take a portion of a backfield chair and make the Chiefs pretty comfortable with what they're getting. If you know what I mean? Yeah, but my my argument, and uh, honestly, I'm I'm not drafting Clyde Edwards-Hiller at his redraft ADP or his dynasty ADP, but <laughs> I, I I will say that if if nothing changes, if the if the backfield is Clyde Edwards-Hiller, Darwin Thompson, and Daryl Williams, I don't see how Edwards-Hiller doesn't average twenty touches a game, and twenty touches a game in that Chiefs offense equals RB one. 
No, Saquon Barkley with 20 touches a game equals RB1. LeGarrette Blount with 20 touches a game equals LeGarrette Blount with 20 touches a game. So at some point, it's about the player. Yes, but when so LeGarrette Blount... you don't Blount, think he but, has that no, ability, no, no, then no, but, who cares? I mean, yeah, valuable. He's going to be a productive running back, and they're very valuable in fantasy. But you yeah. don't see him that being... You see him more towards the Blounts. Is that how you say his name? It's been so long it, since anyone I, I always just say Blount. Blount, Blount, Blount yeah. right? That's the one. Um, like there's there's a differential there. If you don't think he's towards this side, like that matters to me. I, I guess a little but, bit. More. But, he, but even Blunt, who most people would agree was not a good NFL running back, he had a year in a very good offense that he scored like 14 touchdowns, and so he mm-hmm. was a, a, a circumstance of being one of the only shows in town on a very good offense, and that equaling fantasy production and that's kind of what i see from out and i don't even and i don't think edwards is a bad running back i just don't think that he has the same talent level of the counterparts of where he's being drafted around and that's fair like like i keep getting caught in this discussion because like i'm there like i don't think he's a first round pick in the startup draft i don't think he's a sixth running back off the board that seems kind of crazy to me because i think his i think his talent is decent, but I don't know enough about running back time from college. Frankly, the production metrics can't give us that as well as it can at wide receiver, I honestly believe. And so far, what I what I find shows that. But um, I do think there's a ch- bigger chance that I'm wrong on his talent, considering that the Chiefs seem to think differently. If you know what I mean? Like, I'm willing to accept that variance in my evaluation on his talent. So I, I don't draft him. I wouldn't draft him there either. But I don't think it's outside of his range of outcomes because I could be wrong on what his potential is on his touches. I don't know how you can do both. I don't know how you can say he can't produce that as a innately based on his talent, but the team situation will carry him. Like, Arabat didn't hit top five. I'm, I'm worried now. Maybe I was wrong. But he didn't hit that range of outcomes, even on a good oh, offense with a lack of competition. As far as I remember, it was just another top 24 year with a hell of a lot of touchdowns, which made di- a big difference on a week-to-week basis. So, like, that's – and that's what I'm talking about. There's a scale. Even in the most open, most successful backfield with all the touches you want, if you don't have a Barkley, you just don't have a Barkley. You've got mm-hmm. a blunt. I keep saying blunt. Or you've got a Jeremy Hill, frankly. They tried to do it with Jeremy Hill. And he's a guy who did okay in college, to be fair. Was a productive rusher. And they kept trying to give him 20-touch game workloads. And he did all right with it because he was all right. And I don't know why Jeremy Hill. Oh, that's why. He just signed somewhere. That must have been why. But I think talent does matter at a certain point in the running back position. And I think that was inherent in the research that produces it running back doesn't matter. It wasn't that no player makes a difference. It's that the position is more replaceable. And Rich Harbaugh just did this to me because he found me in my own logical fallacy where I love Christian Kirk. And he pointed out that his targets were more replaceable. And I thought it was just Twitter for a second instead of discussing it with one of the smartest people on the internet. And and so I challenged him and got owned because I was like, no, Pete, I'm not saying he's not good. I'm saying where he gets targets are more easily replaceable in in the real NFL. You can find someone to do those targets on the waiver wire or through a signing as opposed to a Mike Evans. And he was entirely right. And I think we can apply that kind of logic to running back. If Damian Williams being there is a problem, like Darwin Thompson, fine. Yeah, sure. Whatever other running back is on the depth chart, that if that was this kind of split you were seeing, then you were, then I think what we were projecting is no top five talent, no talent that could take it beyond what the touches can just innately generate from yourself for themselves because you know touches are everything uh, opportunities are everything in the nfl but i think i've gotten a little ethereal i think i've stopped making a lot of coherent sense so well, i'm gonna stop talking I, <laughs> I, I will say that the only like objective like film-based way we have of evaluating talent is draft capital like there's there's no way to yeah, objectively right? evaluate yeah. film and clyde edwards alaire was drafted as rb1 drafted in the first round and so objectively from a film perspective he has talent because he was drafted as the rb1 in the first round that's what that's exactly where it is because i ended up in this weird conversation i'm having a lot of weird conversations lately with jordan mcnamara who's that's how you say his name right he's usually draft capital guy and i'm undrafted free agent guy and i'm happy in that role like i'm betting on the guys that are definitely not gonna do it right um but he was 
he he like you and I was like this is too high for Clyde Edwards Hillet. Um but it was weird for me to be the one to have to mention draft capital with him because that's what it is and you just framed it perfectly it's where the potential is there we could be wrong on his talent or you could be wrong on his talent and I could be wrong on the situation carrying whatever you want to say it but the risk of it actually happening right now is not baked into his ADP. Right now you're taking full risk and he has to pay off that reward, but the risk is too great to do it. And that's essentially what we're kind of arguing, um, I guess arguing is the word, but we're going back and forward over. It's not that he can't do it. It's that you're taking too much risk that it might happen at that cost. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. It's like running back six overall in, uh, well... DLS ADP for August isn't out yet, but that's what Ryan McDowell said it is right now, and he's the one who sees the raw data, so I guess that's where it is. Um, but yeah, interesting conversation. Do you, do you have JT over him then? Because I I've, I've flip-flopped him, and I ended up just putting him in the same tier, but for myself, yeah, I take Jonathan Taylor over over Clyde Ebbers-Hilaire. That's I, from, from a strict, like, I have to keep him on my roster for the next 12, 24 months, I'll take JT. Okay, um, yeah, no, from- no trading. <laughs> From from perspective that Edwards Lair is going to have the opportunity early on in the great offense, and he's going to score points early on if there's an NFL season. I'll take Edwards Lair and take the opportunity to either flip him today or I'll flip him in four weeks in, in week four when people are still freaking out about him. Okay, we got sucked into a Clyde Edwards Lair debate. I just realized I started off asking you about why is zero RB dead, and I was thinking more the season and the trend in general. Like, mm-hmm. um, are you buying into the idea that? whatever the 2020 season is going to look like, it's going to be worse for wide receivers or you just don't know, which I think is a fair take as well. I I, I think I don't know. I think that the closest thing we have to a comparison is I think it's the 2011 lockout. um, Yeah. uh, That was the lockout year where there was like five, 5,000 yard passers. And so that very small data point that isn't scientific whatsoever leads me to think that defenses are going to be very bad early on and quarterbacks and wide receivers will benefit from that. Obviously we have no idea. I think that's the only honest take, but uh, yeah, Jacob again is the only one. Uh, he's the one who pointed that 2011 season out to me. Cause I wasn't even playing fantasy then. It's like, do you remember the holdout? It's like, no, it's like, you should look at that. <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> um, but even then, like you say, like, it's very different. The holdout was over once it was over. The season wasn't, the in-game play wasn't affected by a player testing positive for holding out, you know, <laughs> which could happen on a weekly basis at this point. We're at a point where people are trying to help by coming up with potential ideas, but like the opposite can always be true because it's a random variable. So, well, like, let's just use the same two players, but Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could get COVID, which is great for Damian Williams if he was still there, or it could happen the opposite way. And taking it either far, either way to, like, it could be great news for Zico Elliott if, Tony Pollard is the one that, you know, ends up on the list for two weeks. He ends up being false, a false positive because we don't actually want players to get injured in this hypothetical. But um, you get you get my point. And But what I've been thinking lately is this is a more difficult problem once you compare the complexities of the 2011 season to the potential of 2020 because the running game just depends on more players. It's a lot easier for it to go wrong. Like you said, the defense is a lot more likely to be affected because there's a nature to an offensive line that gets affected by a change in the dynamic. And that's a lot easier to affect the running back. So so, so what you're saying is sell all of your Jets because they have five new starters on the offensive line. Well, maybe that's a problem with offensive lines, I think. And not all of them, but I do think there's there seems to be this pattern of offensive lines gelling together after mm-hmm. playing together, sometimes for a significant period of time. And then not being good before or not being good after outside I, of that dynamic. I will say there might be a bit of a fallacy there because <laughs> it, it, if an offensive line is sticking together year after year after year, you have a group of good NFL players that are staying on an NFL roster. Like yeah. if you just had five UDFAs on your offensive line, they don't just magically get better by playing together two or three years in a row. That's fair. My main point was one of them getting sick takes away from that dynamic. Yes, yes. No, I agree. And that, yeah. that's a greater risk for the 2020 season. Whereas a wide receiver, it depends on, obviously every player is involved in every play on the NFL level, at least. But in, in the same way that running backs can be greatly affected 
on a per touched basis and we keep defending running backs by look that o-line sucks wide receivers don't have that much of a problem they're much more independent position if you know what i mean so in some ways they're at less of a risk and and looking at the 2011 season one thing that struck me was like we still had good rookies that year and despite the fear of rookies going into 2020 with no preseason, we had great wide receiver seasons. Some of them in their first and second year had amazing wide receiver seasons. And Kevin Johnson was there. I think Julio, that was one of his early years, if I remember right. And he had a great season too. So like, I, and like you said, it's unscientific. And the honest answer is we don't know, but um, I guess we've got to think about it. Right. <laughs> but um the the broader point about zero RB right now, I would say, just trying to keep to my theme desperately, is um is zero RB um no longer as effective as when Sean wrote that article. You said no, but do you think there's any trend towards the change in wide receiver usage affecting well, the benefit of zero fragility, whatever it is? Well, RB usage is what is diminishing some of the value of a zero RB and Sean talked about it last week on, on the podcast that the yes. fact that there aren't workhorses anymore is actually bad for zero RB because right. zero RB relies on workhorse go, goes down or workhorse, you know, something happens to the workhorse and then RB two becomes workhorse. Whereas now it's workhorse gets, gets hurt. And then RB two, RB three, RB four all split that workhorse load. Yeah, that's a fair point. Also, the increase in the receiving role of running back is literally where the targets have been going for running backs, which creates more usable running backs, whether the starter gets injured or not. There's more James Whites, in other words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has an effect. But do you think that's a trend that continues? Do you think that's why? Uh, I mean, to, to an extent, I, I think that finding that, that workhorse is a little bit harder because there isn't very many of them, in, in whether it's during the draft or after so I, I do think there's some value in taking the, the Christian McCaffrey, the Squan Barkley, the Ezekiel Elliott, because you know pretty much no matter what outside of injury, this guy's getting these touches. And there are very few players that are guaranteed those touches the way those top five, top six, six guys are. Something that occurs to me, especially if we're worried about rookies, if some people are worried about rookies this year, is I, I don't really don't see a reason to expect less because it's a random variable. I've got no idea how it's going to play out. It could easily be as worse for the running back as it is worse for the wide receivers, you know, based on the cohesion of the offensive line versus the lack of practice that wide receivers need in the pregame and uh, not pregame preseason um, and also the, all those practices that we're worried about them not getting so i can see how essentially it's still a random variable so i'm kind of still expecting like the running backs i like i still expect top 24 performances from those top five guys or i'm going to be more concerned about them i still expect one wide receiver from this rookie class to be a, at least one to be a top 24 rookie wide receiver not rookie wide receiver, but wide receiver overall, because that's the average, if you know what I mean. So I'm not really affecting or changing my expectations. Is that where you are with the rookie class, or are you more concerned, less concerned even? Because it's a great uh, class, I, maybe? I don't know. I, I don't, like, like I said, we don't really have the information to be able to say one way or the other. I will will say that the COVID stuff does lean credence to, like, there's going to be opportunities, like whether it's through opt-outs hmm. or through, uh, you know, injuries or even you know COVID there there might be rookies that had obstacles previously that are going to have less obstacles due to those factors and so I from a dynasty perspective I don't ever look at my rookie draft picks and say okay what's this guy going to give me this year people who who were hesitant to draft DeAndre Swift because they thought Carrion Johnson would bite into his touches I don't care he can't if Carryon Johnson has a 50-50 split for DeAndre Swift, that doesn't really impact his dynasty value for me. Um, but from a real perspective, obviously that does. And that's why I'm a little bit, you know, more sour on those guys. And with talking about this running back class, a lot of the landing spots in this year's class, and, th- and this changed a little bit with uh, with uh, Damian Williams opting out, but basically almost all of the early round running backs went into a timeshare immediately. Jonathan Taylor's in a timeshare with Marlon Mack. John Swift in time share with, with Karrion Johnson. Very few, if any, of the early round running backs went to a spot where it's like, okay, this guy is now the RB1 with no competition. Um, yeah, that goes back to somewhat, I guess, about what I was saying about Clyde Edwards-Lair, where like, I, it feels like weak source to say, well, they're in a committee. Like, 
I think Jonathan Taylor is a clearly top talented running back. That's what I'm saying with my evaluation in a heavy running back class, in a heavy rookie class. So it seems like couching. I'm not expecting as much as other good running backs in his first year because he's got Marlon Mack on the depth chart. Like, I, I think we have to like him like we like running backs or not. And I really like Marlon Mack, but I think Jonathan Taylor's better. So I'm not limiting my expectation for Taylor too much or at all, preferably based on Mac. And it seems like couching in an uncertain. Yeah. I love, by the way, that I keep asking you unanswerable questions and you're not, you're not falling for it at all. You're like, no, we don't know the answer to that one, Pete. You're not going to make me, you're not going to make me do that. So I appreciate that you're uh, outmaneuvering me. I don't even mean to do it, but I've done it like four times. I'm asking you a question that literally can't be answered. Like here's infinity, Nathan, solve it for us. So I apologize for that one. Um, but let, let me put it in a, a better com- context. Like, you obviously have rankings. You have preferred rookie wide receivers, preferred rookie running backs this year. And so sticking with wide receiver, because running back we've done to death. In my, like, this is more than I ever normally talk about running back, I think. But, like, who's your – do you think a rookie wide receiver is going to be in the top 24 this year? More or less – more less likely uh, than average year. I, I, I think it's – unlikely um because of the landing spots of the two best ones of of lamb and judy they are in gross landing spots they are in if there's such thing as a committee in a wide receiver group broncos and cowboys have it uh i i do think lamb is much more talented than than michael gallup but i don't think that makes him more productive in in 2020 than michael gallup and you have jerry judy who the broncos spent like their entire draft drafting weapons and so that there's just so much, so much talent to go around the, around that wide receiver core that it, it's hard to find Jerry Judy breaking out into a top 24 wide receiver in year one. I think he's the most talented wide receiver in that wide receiver group. And I think that he eventually goes to that point. I'm just not sure in year one. And then I'll throw in the caveat with a limited training camp. If that happens, um, I will say that if there is one that I'm going to pick, it's going to be the one who was uh, drafted as the wide receiver one and has little to no competition around him. And that's Henry Ruggs. I, I think Ooh. that I, I don't, I don't love him. I, I actually do. I, I love his dynasty price. Uh, and I right. think that he has the, the easiest path to targets in year one. And he was the first wide receiver drafted. So all, all those things say, I don't think Henry Ruggs is a top 24 wide receiver in redraft or in 2020. But I think that if I'm going to take one to be that top 24 wide receiver, it's it's that one. Okay. And this goes back to the why are you scared if you like the talent? Because you like um like it's actually striking. I didn't know I didn't recognize this. Maybe I knew it. But like there's been two wide receiver classes in the last 20 years where at least one wide receiver didn't end up as a top 24 wide receiver overall. And that was striking to me since we rightly downplay the expectations for rookies that's where you should be you should expect less than the over under in vegas for rookies right now always expect less than what they say they're gonna get but it does strike me that like basically every except for a couple classes one guy has beaten expectation not maybe not dramatically is dramatically is too dramatic but um and enough that he would have been a value at his adp let's say a little bit more mm-hmm. um calmly um so yeah that's kind of where i'm at i'm wondering who that guy is because i i do think it's as likely to happen in any other year or at least i think i can't say it's any less likely based on covid based on the pandemic however you want to say it um did you say judy was the most talented wide receiver on that call or were you talking about someone else you, you know I judy kind of yes it yes. was judy yes yeah he's the one i have the biggest concern with um because while I say, okay, I understood everyone's evaluation, I can see what they were saying about Alabama, like, I, I just got to be honest, like, my bias sticks. His production in and of itself was a little low, and I have to mentally adjust for the fact that he had this uh, heavy division, or heavier than most. It's not the heaviest, but it's slightly heavy division of labor across different uh, across a wide receiver position on that particular team with rugs scoring so many touchdowns and so on and so forth i do love rugs value and his landing spot by the way it's hard to hate on rugs about like you said based on where you're getting him um i think mims is being underrated in terms of his potential of being that guy 
And I know we hate the Jets, but again, where I'm at, I don't buy into situation analysis so much. Maybe that's why I'm making that mistake. But I really believe in Cortland Sutton. That's honestly my biggest concern with Jerry Judy right now. Um, does Sutton it, not concern you? Or In 2020, it certainly does. Uh, and I do think it caps his long-term ceiling a little bit. Um, but, it, and, you know, it, this is the simpleton way of looking at things. But Cor- f- Cortland Sutton... I'm a fan of the simpleton way of looking at things. That's the only way I have, so let's go. Cor- Cortland Sutton was a second-round draft pick. I think a late second-round draft pick at that. And Jerry Judy's a top 15 draft pick. And you don't take a, a wide receiver in the top 15 if you think, I mean, maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you can sure, I'm sure that someone's going to go back and look at drafts and say, hey, here is all the times the Lions drafted a wide receiver in the top 15 while they had Calvin Johnson. But I, I, think, I, I, I think you saw the little Laquan Treadwell gleam in my eye and you, you were rightly backed up right there. Like we also yeah. don't play undrafted free agents on first round picks unless they're a lot better. But you're not sorry. Carry on with your point. That's, no, no. But my, my point, point is that, like, in this, in this, even like, I was actually more worried about Sutton after the Hamler pick because if you have confidence in in Portland Sutton being your long long term wide receiver one, why are you drafting two wide receivers with your first two picks? Um, and I, I I think good. I mean, I think Sutton is a good NFL wide receiver one, but. I think you don't have, if you have cons- if you have complete confidence in him being that wide receiver one you don't spend two picks at, uh, at wide receiver. Uh, now certainly they took a weakness their wide receiver core and made it a strength by doing that. But I, I think that Judy profiles as that wide receiver one more so than, than Sutton does. And I, I understand your concerns with the, with the you know market share type stuff, and that that's why Cortland Sutton those type of guys they profile as as great market share guys because Cortland Sutton was playing with. A bunch of guys who will never see the NFL and James Prosh. That's not why he was a great market share guy. And he yeah. was he was not as good as say DJ Moore was. He, it was in his relative. What I'm really impressed with is his NFL production, which should take over at this point. Sure. And so you're a good person, like most people are better people to ask about than me about player evaluation, because you know the tape. I believe they still call it tape. <laughs> I did that joke. Um but uh, what concerns you with Sutton's play? Because metrically, no, and this was, this, was, this is what struck me, DJ Moore, all these guys that we really love, AJ Brown coming into 2020, Sutton was equal or better across any good, and by good I mean predictive or highly valued metric or statistic. Sutton was as good or better across yards per team pass attempt, market share, and I'm assuming yards per route run, but I don't personally use it. And Whopper, Air yards, like he was right there with all of them, and he's, I think he's considered a tier below, right? So what's not showing up for for the folks? Was well, it just the overall I, production? It, no, no, no. I I think Cortland Sutton's great, and what he did in 20, 2019 is great. But I think that the re- reaction that Denver had to that season is what's not great. Is that it's they are like, reaction. but okay, yeah, yeah. It's not. I'm not looking at Cortland Sutton saying like that's what I see there is not a wide receiver one. I'm looking at what the team did, and I'm saying, is that a wide receiver one? So he looks like it. He, he walks like it, talks like it, acts like it, smells like it, but the team might not think I, it. I thought I had something there, but I was going to run with a metaphor, like the team just bought a duck or something, but I completely <laughs> forgot it. But I see what you mean, but man, that that seems weak. Like we're betting on the – we're betting on we know why the Denver – the Denver. What the hell is that? Um, we know why Denver made their draft picks. It tells us exactly how they feel about their players. And that's going to be more important than Colton Sutton's actual performance. That's a lot of, but, mm, for me. I don't know. But but, let, but let's juxtapose the, the two guys that both went in different situations. Do right. you think that the Lamb pick is an indictment on Gallup's talent? I do. No, I think the... I think the Lamb pick was just because he fell really far. It was really good. You don't turn down C.D. Lamb just because you've got a good wide receiver. That's what mm-hmm. J. Mike Check said about the pick, essentially. He said it better, obviously. But that helped me because I love Michael Gallup, and he was great last year. But it's like you don't not draft 
he's not Calvin Johnson, so I'm trying to come up with a better pick. But you don't not draft Amari Cooper if he falls to you 20 picks mm-hmm. lower than he should have just because you have, well, Michael Gallup on the roster, frankly. Um, and also teams prefer draft cap. I really think there's a team bias that way where they're like, they want to draft their best players high. Um, and I think that leans into it as well. But I, I just think Lamb fell far enough that it would have been silly for them not to take him, Michael Gallup or not. Um, you know what I mean? No, I, I agree. And what you're saying makes a lot of sense, but... First time for everything. But, <laughs> but, but I don't think you can say... And this is kind of roundabout. It doesn't really make much sense here. But Michael Gallup is hurt. My, Michael Gallup is hurt by the land pick. No matter how yes, you slice it, talent or opportunity perspective, Michael Gallup is hurt by it. Cortland Sutton, and someone might argue differently, but Cortland Sutton, in my opinion, is hurt by the in- insertion of a first and second round wide receiver. And they already have a first round tight end on the roster. So all of that talent around the, you know, the weaponry decreases the likelihood that Cortland Sutton can be like 140 target guy or whatever, like the high threshold for targets is these days. I don't think it hurts him enough. It's like everything relative, right? Um, like Diggs and Thielen clearly cannibalized each other, but they were still great. They were still great in the field together. Um, it's, it maybe stopped some of their ceiling, but they also helped each other out. I don't know how well they do without each other. I guess we're about to learn. We're about to learn. Um, but they helped the team, which helped each other, if nothing else. Like, how do we compare Gallup's, uh, maybe this is a bad one to compare, but Lamb's effect on Gallup in relation to, you know, Courtland Sutton's effect on Jerry Judy. Like, I don't know we have a clear way of doing that. Or the likelihood that Calvin Ridley becomes a wide receiver one in that offense. Like, I don't think there's a clear way to judge it. And But the things we can judge or consistently are effective or sticky, or however you want to say it, nerd, you, you nerds out there judging me for my lack of math. And I don't know we have a way of comparing that likelihood between players. Yeah, I can, I, I can accept that there's a decent risk that if Judy is good and Cortland Sutton is good, that they limit each other's potential. But in the same way that it, they maybe increase each other's floor in the same way that Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen may have been doing all this time. Like, none of them profile like Calvin Johnson or Julio Jones or DeAndre Hopkins or Odell Beckham or anyone we might hope they become, right? I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how each of their negatives compare across situation to create a ranking system where Cortland Sutton is so much lower. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I get your concern. It's very reasonable. You're a smart guy. You know your stuff. <laughs> just in case I ever suggested anything different with the way I was speaking, like, I definitely know those things are true. I just don't know how to compare that risk to the risk of wide receiver X in a different situation with his own concerns. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. Like DJ Moore. Love DJ Moore. He's top 12 wide receiver in Dynasty right now. Entirely agree with it. I don't know what that looks like with Teddy Bridgewater on the roster and Christian McCaffrey taking 20% of the targets, which he will, and Court and Curtis Samuel earning phenomenal target share. For a wide receiver, too, that is almost unheard of with another player also getting 20%, like a tight end, but in this case, it's a running back with Christian McCaffrey. And also people think that there's a tight end on that roster that might do some damage. I don't, there's no way of apples to apples in that. Mm-hmm. And so Cortland Sutton rises for me compared to most. Apparently I'm a lot higher on. Yeah. Well, I will say one thing to, I guess, ask you a question that you, it seems that you don't, you know, you're not a huge believer in Judy's talent in part to do with his market share and and things like that. Um, But if you put lamb, if lamb goes 15 overall to the Broncos, are you more concerned because you think that lamb is the better wide receiver or are you just saying Cortland Sutton, he's produced as a wide receiver one in the NFL. He's a wide receiver one in the NFL. I'm not worried about who his wide receiver two is. I don't I don't see anyone in this class that profiled better for me than Cortland Sutton. For me, the good mm-hmm. ones in this class, the, the difference with this class is there are a multitude that profiled as well as Cortland Sutton. But no one no one DJ more this class or Nikhil Harry, just to show that, you know, this doesn't matter a lot. Um <laughs> no one was no one had the talent profile coming from college that Nikhil Harry, DJ Moore. Um, frankly, the other comparisons are all like name-dropping studs, so I'm going to leave them alone. No one did that in this class. They were all really good prospects, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So Lamb, 
would concern me more, I guess. But like, I would still believe the NFL stats more than the college stats. But I do see your point. And again, like I said, I have slight bias here because I had to be convinced uh, on Jerry Judy more than it jumped off the page to me. But no, even even taking the player out of it, it's more that I can. I'm more certain that Cortland Sutton is good in the NFL. It's that simple. No, and that's that's definitely fair. And I I tend to and and you talked about how Jordan is a big draft capital guy. I am also, and I, I I also use draft capital more so than looking at the player. I'm looking at what is the team thinking. Um, Matt Williamson often talks about the two times that a team won't lie to you is draft day and free agency, where they spend their money and where they spend their picks. You can't lie about it because that's how you're using your assets. And that's what you think about those position groups. I mean, it doesn't always correlate one-to-one, but for the most part, that's how you're saying, I mean, at the very least, when you're spending big money on a guy, you think he's talented. You think he's, you know, going to continue to excel in the NFL level. Or when you draft a guy high, you think this guy's going to be a great pro. Yeah. um, And again, to be clear, like I don't, I'm not trying to throw shade ever. I just always sound like I am. It's just not part of my process to try and read how a team thinks. I really value it. I love hearing guys like you breaking it down because you and Stompy's another one. Um, he's really good at reading the, what the NFL is intending to do or what they plan to do. Jake, former co-host, he's really good at reading teams. I'm just not. And so it's not part of my process. And so I view it all with a little bit of sketchiness because the other aspect to it is the team might want it, but they're wrong the draft is at best a lottery, right? They're making their, the best bet they can, but it's still a 50-50 coin flip about whether they're right on any of these players. Now, we think they're right with Lamb. We think they're right with Judy as far as we can see. And they do a lot more infrastructure around deciding that. So maybe we should just take their bets on it. But I, but we don't because we're all trying to think of another word than arrogant. But there you go. I mean, we're all trying to beat the NFL. Um, but we agree with them on these picks. Um but it's still at best a guess. I really think mm-hmm. the the hit the draft like there's no draft round or binning of draft picks that beats fifty percent. We can't even get it to a coin flip, mm-hmm. especially a wide receiver running back. A little bit like eighty seven percent of running backs drafted in the first round hit at least a top twenty four ceiling. For example, that's an incredible. That's Which, a lot better than a coin flip. You know, that's also that's also an incredibly low threshold for yeah. a very high. <laughs> It gets a little worse if you go into the top 12, but you know, what are you up to lately, by the way? What's your, what, like last time I think I checked in on you, you're a part of 10 different podcasts and they're all worth listening to. So what are you doing now? <laughs> uh, no, just, we just have the, the one podcast, Dice Straight Cast on Rotoviz Radio, uh, you know, comes out pretty much every week uh, with Dan Sanyo as well. And we have a uh, cavalcade of guests uh, cycling through. I'm sure we'll have you on shortly. Um, after all this knowledge you just dropped on us today on your own podcast. Um, and then we have uh, the DLF Commissioner Chronicles. Uh, if you are a Dynasty Commissioner, this is not an easy uh, time to be a commissioner. Uh, my series doesn't necessarily focus on that, but it does focus on league settings. Um, I have a number of a variety of different league settings, and I try to basically teach commissioners how to run each specific one. Because if you're a commissioner, it's easy to run a 1QB PPR league. It's when you go more complicated than that, it's where you kind of need to be taught or learn those things. And I learned those things through guys like Ryan McDowell and Scott Fish. And I try to, you know, make some of my own type rules that make things more interesting. So DLF Commissioner Chronicles, uh, all, all your, uh, you know, uh, everything on YouTube um, for, you know, finding those things. And then Dice Street Road of his radio on your podcast app. I really appreciate you coming on, Nathan. Uh and actually disagreeing with me on some things. I need that so desperately in my life. And I think it's very clear and you do it really effectively. Also, it's, you know, always worth shouting out people who have a skill set that I don't. And reading team intention and reading team situation is not something I do because I'm not good at it. So here's Nathan. Go listen to him. Check out his podcast. And seriously, while we can't predict much about the 2020 season because of COVID, we can predict a lot of commissioners are going to lose a lot of hair. So really appreciate someone trying to offer some support for those commissioners out there doing the hard work. I'm really just completely okay with handing all that over to John Bosch and Scott Fish and all your other commissioner types. It's like, good luck. Let me know how we should do this. I will complain if we get it wrong, which you will because it's impossible. So (laughs) yeah, I really appreciate that, Nathan. Thanks for coming on. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. See you again next week. Bye. Thanks a lot. Yeah. 
chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. Jake got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.